Dominic Berto is your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We are going to have a great show for you today. We are going to have a great show for you today. Michael Rudnan, welcome aboard. Tank 28, AVQ, EI Pots Walk 173. Want to become, what is, uh, I don't want to buy any followers. That That's a spammer. That's okay. That's okay, spammer. Anyhow, folks, uh, we're going to have a great show for you today. We are going to have a great show for you today. Michael says, issue numero uno. How to fix our broken government? Want to give me a belated birthday present? Watch this video in full after the show, the 28th Amendment. Uh, that's interesting. Represent Us is a group that I worked with when I was a board member of um, Move to Amend. So you have good taste, brother. You have good taste. I will take a look at it. It's probably one that I saw. Bridge MCP, welcome aboard. We are going to have a great show for you today. We're going to have a great show for you today, so let's go ahead and get started. Let's go ahead and get started. Let me make sure and bring the thing up first. Anyhow, have you guys been watching the news today? Do you see how silent Republicans are? Even when they're talking, even the budget, the, the stimulus, you don't see them talking a whole lot about it. They're trying to keep a low profile because anytime you hear the word Republican on one hand, so far, Republican leadership on one hand, you hear what? Insurrection. Republican insurrection. Republican insurrection. Think about that, folks. Think, think about that. We have got to really see what's going on. Anyhow, let's go ahead and start talking about what the program is going to be about today. Title of the show today is An Immigrant's Experience, The Real Reason for Insurrection, Stimulus is Not Too Big, Senor... Uh, Mr. Larry Summers, who was Obama's past economic guy, he's talking about the stimulus being too big. Can you believe that? The stimulus is too big. Um, I am going to get into that when I bring up that article. But right now, all I must say is that is, that is sort of upsetting. It should be very upsetting to the middle class. It should be very upsetting to the poor. Because it always seems... That the only time something is too expensive is when it does something for us all. We have to remember that. Welcome aboard, Mar uh, Norman Reynolds. Thank you for being here. Anyhow, folks, let's go ahead and get busy. Title of the show, An Immigrant's Experience, The Real Reason for Insurrection, Stimulus is Not Too Big. Juan Riboldi talks about immigration and his book, Strategic Transformation. I forgot to put the hyperlink on the book. And... Matthew Dow talks about insurrection reasons, the real reasons for the insurrection. And I love the way he put it. But I had a few additions that I wanted to add to what he had to say. But it's what he had to say was so important, was so spot on. Hello, Linda. Welcome aboard. So I want you guys to take a look at that when I, when I show that. And then, of course, there's Larry Summers. We're going to talk about Larry Summers. Larry Summers thinks... The stimulus is too big. Madre mía, ¿qué está pensando este pendejo? Anyhow, let's go ahead and continue the program. And we're going to start with Joe Scarborough. Because Joe Scarborough made my day this morning. Kind of got up and watched it, watched the Scarborough show today. Check this out. Republicans, 199 of them decided to support not taking away committees from a thug 
in Congress that they elected in Congress, Marjorie Taylor Greene. And, uh, you know, they couldn't, none of them could really come out and defend her per se. They wanted to defend process. Interestingly then, McCarthy, Minority Leader McCarthy, goes on the floor and says, I've got a list of Democrats when we are in power. Let's see what happens. Uh, what was quite amusing, quite interesting, is what Joe Scarborough, conservative Joe Scarborough, had to say to his buddy, Kevin McCarthy. Let's listen to that and then take it on the other side. After House GOP leadership failed to take action against Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene for her inflammatory social media posts and spreading of violent conspiracy theories, Democrats yesterday took uh, the measure into their own hands with the unprecedented move to strip her from her committee assignments. Eleven Republicans joined all Democrats in backing Greene's removal from her two committees. 199 Republicans voted no. Speaking on the House floor yesterday, Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy warned that Democrats were setting a dangerous new precedent. If people are held to what they are said prior to even being in this House, if majority party gets to decide who sits on what other committees, I hope you keep that standard because we have a long list you can work within your own. Oh, do you have a long list, Kevin? Do you have a long list of a Democratic member of Congress calling for the assassination of Donald Trump? Do you have do you have a list of a Republican member of Congress calling for the lynching of George W. Bush? Do you do you have uh, in that Joe McCarthy list of yours that you're talking about? Do you have a name of a Democrat, Joseph McCarthy, uh, that called for the lynching of Secretary of State Colin Powell? Oh, wait a second. You know what? <laughs> you don't. You do. You're lying. You're lying again. But Kevin, this is just what you do. You don't have a list of anybody that has said anything remotely resembling what this QAnon Republican lady has said. Talking about Jewish space lasers burning the uh, California, Kevin, burning forests in California. Ta Kevin, you know, you know, she actually supported the assassination of your counterpart on the Democratic side. Nancy Pelosi, I'm wondering, I'm wondering, Kevin, in that list of yours, I have with me a list of 237 communists in the blah, blah. What's wrong with you, Kevin? A Do lot. you think we're as stupid as you? Because I would love for you, go on the House floor today, Kevin, and give us the name of the Democrat who, before they were Democrat, called for your assassination, called for a bullet into your brain. Give us the name, Joe McCarthy, or keep your mouth shut. We're not that stupid. The four years of McCarthyism is over. So stop you're lying to the American people. Why don't you just have a picture of Joe McCarthy behind you? I must admit, I enjoyed that because I don't know if you remember the old Joe. The old Joe would have found some way to defend, but the new Joe, the, the Joe that's married to Miss Brzezinski, he is really doing a fairly good job and because of his conservative bona fides, it actually helps the cause. 
Good job. We got to keep the pressure on because that's how we're going to get our policies through. That's how we're going to get our policies through. Bridge MCP says, Michael Rodney sent this, uh, she sent it to me. What's causing the health disadvantage? Recent work points to a surprising culprit. Conservative policies. We've been talking about that for a long time, Bridge. Hey, welcome Jenny Wallace Seglins. Welcome aboard. Conservative policies kill people. We've been talking about that. Look at what's happening in Texas. Look at the insurance. Uh, I mean, we can go over and over again. Welcome aboard, uh, Jenny Wallace Seglins. Uh, interesting enough, uh, Michael says, uh, compared to 16 nations, United States ranked dead last in life expectancy for males and second to last for females. Beyond that, the nation ranked at or near the bottom in nine broad areas, including injuries and homicides, drug-related deaths, heart disease, and diabetes. Lung disease was both more common and more deadly in the U.S. than in most of the comparison countries. While older adults were more likely to have arthritis than people in the United Kingdom, Europe, and Japan, the U.S. surpassed all other nations in its rate of infant death. It had the highest rate of new AIDS cases. American young people were more likely than their international peers to die in traffic accidents. Um, we had a worse death rate for our kids than Cuba. Then again, Cuba has a very darn good healthcare system. A very good system. Ryan Featherstone, welcome aboard. Linda E., welcome aboard. Uh, let's continue. Roberto Luis, mi hermano panameño. Where is he living? For him to say, the stimulus is too big. No, he's not. it's not where he's living, my brother Roberto. What happens is he's wealthy. He's one of those neoliberals that, let's not go there today because we have other subjects to talk about. Okay, continuing, let me just get a few things because I haven't been answering some of this. How they got to M MTG is your turning point. Uh, Tom Hartman was on. I got to check it out. I got to check it out. Thanks for the link, Lawrence. Michael Rundin says, another McCarthy with a list. All right, going down. Michael Rundin, if Jewish space lasers was a thing, the biggest anti-Semites would have been hit already. <laughs> Lee Grant says, she evolved on the Jewish space laser position. She did? Come on, Lee. You know she didn't. You know she was trying to save her position. He's really going after Omar for her Jewish slandering. You know what? Omar did the right thing, and Omar came and she apologized for saying that sounded anti-Semitic. She went ahead and apologized. Uh, this woman doesn't know the apology. It, it's not a part of her lexicon. Okay, Troy Astro. The morning Joe don't play. He doesn't want the Republican Party to die by hands of lunatics. I know. Maxine Waters made Highland Cinder comments. The left shrugged it off. Now they are so offended by hypocrites. Compare, let's not, you know, Lee, let's not have false equivalencies, Okay. Go ahead and list all the things that you find that Maxine said that is that are offensive. And some of the things that a lot of you think Maxine said was offensive just happen to be true. But go ahead and make a list of all the things Maxine Waters had to say. And make a list of all the things that Green, Taylor Green, had to say. And then let's have an honest comparison. Let's not let's not go into false equivalences. Anyhow, the next thing that I want to do is um, that insurrection. Matthew Dowd. Matthew Dowd has been sort of down the middle for a long time, even though I think he's a Republican. But I want you to listen to this piece that he, that he did, and then we'll take it on the other side. What's the cause of the insurrection? What's the cause of the angst on the right? What are the real causes? Is it solely economic? Well, as I've always spoken about, 
It is economic, but there is a thread that's used to justify the economics. I want to play Matthew Dodd, his, who is one of the few that are willing to tell it like it is, but I want to take it a little step further after that. Check this out, and then we'll take it on the other side, because I think this is quite important. For more on the state of the GOP, I want to bring in Matthew Dowd, who is chief strategist for the Bush-Cheney 2004 presidential campaign. Um, I, Matthew, I think my over-under on Republican votes today was probably about five. I was actually sort of surprised that there were 11 votes. Uh, what was your reaction? Um, I wasn't that surprised. I thought it would be somewhere in the neighborhood of seven to 10 and ended up at 11. I mean, obviously, the story isn't the 10 or 11 or the 11 that stood for principle. It's the 199 that didn't and who basically welcomed a 21st century political typhoid Mary into their midst, uh, spreading, being a carrier of disease that's infected the entire Republican Party um, for a lengthy period of time. It's not just, I, I think one of the things, Chris, we, we don't focus on enough is, is what's behind all this and, and what is the original sin of all of this that has led us here it's not a denial of the school shootings. It's not a denial that Joe Biden won. It's not a denial that 9-11 happened. It's a denial of a words in our original document, which that it was self-evident truth that all men are created equal. That's what's led us here, because we've never dealt with that disease in our country. You know, th there was a vote today that was a public vote, right, in which you have 199 members of the Republican Party voting to uh, Keep Marjorie Taylor Greene on our committees, 11 dissenting. Yesterday, you had a, another vote about sort of exile, right? It was about Liz Cheney, I think, who's number three in leadership, whether she'd be kicked off leadership. That was a secret ballot. You had 61 Republicans that wanted to kick her off for the sin of voting to impeach the president. And I, what I found striking about that is so much of the interpretation of House Republicans and Republicans in general is about the political calculations they're making. They don't want to get crosswise as of Donald Trump, et cetera. This was a secret ballot. I think people need to take seriously the real beliefs of the members of the Republican Party and caucus as driving much of this. This is not about Donald Trump. Everybody, I mean, so many people talk about the fear of Donald Trump. The Republican leaders and the Republican elected officials aren't, Donald Trump's a proxy. And Donald Trump's a proxy for the 80% or 85% of the Republican Party that believes by and large which Mar what Marjorie Taylor Greene believes. They believe that. And so the fear is a Republican primary voter who's much more aligned with Marjorie Taylor Greene than they are with Liz Cheney. That's the fear. And I think that's the problem in America today. We have a major party that is supported by millions of Americans, millions of Americans, not a majority, but millions of Americans who have this same set of beliefs. So you can get rid of Donald Trump, cast him out as a pariah, put him down in Florida, it doesn't solve the fundamental problem in America today because a smarter, more competent version of Donald Trump will arise and be more dangerous. That's hard to believe, be more dangerous to the country. I guess what the question is, what does solve it? Right. I mean, some kind of gatekeeping, some kind of have the factional fight out, have it out is the only solution, I think. I mean, again, I'm looking at this for an outsider, but that's what it looks like to me. I, I mean, I think there's many different small things we can do, but I think ultimately we have to deal with what's really behind this, which is we never held the people who wanted slavery 
accountable and responsible, and we never told the truth in the aftermath. And when Reconstruction failed, by and large, because Abraham Lincoln was killed, when Reconstruction failed, it led to more than 100 years where we finally got to Civil Rights and Voting Act. And you can draw a straight line, as I've said before, you can draw a straight line between the failure of Reconstruction and the inability to tell the truth about our country, all the way through Emmett Till and Medgar Evers and Martin Luther King, all the way up to Heather Heyer and all the way up to police shootings that are unjustified. And so that to me is the truth Americans finally have to face. That's gonna resolve our problems when we finally face the truth. There is a segment of the population that does not believe all men and women in America are created equal. That's the fundamental problem. Now I wanna take a little tangent. It's gonna seem like a tangent, but it isn't. Uh, When he says there's a whole lot of people who don't believe that all men and women are created equal. Uh, what he's defining is white supremacy. And many people would take a look, you know, when you look at the intelligentsia, the black intelligentsia in the country or the, the liberal intelligentsia in the country, the, the way they look at it is like, stop talking simply about this being like Bernie Sanders always wanted to make everything an economic issue. There are certain things that people vote against their own interests because it is racial. Yes, now it is. Now it is. Now it is. Uh, that is the truth. But the truth of the matter is if we, if we don't look at it from that perspective of economics, we would have missed the point. The reason white supremacy comes into being, the reason why racism and these issues come into being is because it's a tool. You know, when you're working with a friend, somebody, no matter how they look or whatever, you, you see each other's humanity. You're only scared of something that you're not familiar with. So initially, if somebody looks very different or they have a third finger or something, that you, you may be a bit scared until you start working with them, and then everything then becomes normal. But if you institutionalize that there are differences based on X, Y, and Z, in this case, there are differences based on race, you can use that as a tool You can use that as an economic tool. In other words, you can keep this segment very much down so that the the, the errors in your, the the errors, the the, the errors, the inefficiency, the, 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 uh, the selfishness of your economic system doesn't quite show up because you're, there's a pecking order and these people look down at those others and say, oh, I could be there. So this is okay. So that you don't look at the top. White supremacy isn't a good thing for white people or black people or Chinese or Asian or whatever. It is a tool. And one of the reasons I don't, you don't see me being ferocious at the average uh, human racist, you don't see me ferocious at these type of folk, is because it doesn't make any sense if you understand it is a tool. It is a tool that has been instituted on us for centuries. And if you acknowledge it as a tool, you work through it as a tool and you abstract it away from the humanity of whoever is using, uh, whoever is a victim of that tool, whether uh, perpetrating it, you know, or living it. It's like, I won't use that, that other analogy. So it is important for us to understand that. When you understand that, then you would say, I need to solve the economic issue And as I solve the economic issue, I can also work on the stupidity that is white supremacy and racism. 
but you have to first acknowledge it as a tool and not a human deficiency, not something intrinsic to any particular race or creed or whatever. And once you are clear and focused on what has been done to all of us for a few, once you can cauterize in your mind that white supremacy has nothing to do with white people in the aggregate. What it has to do is keeping a very few on top and using the big mass of white people as their tool to further their gains. Folks, it's deep. Believe it, it's deep. And too many are not understanding and talking about it. All right, folks, let's go to our interview, and then we'll come back and do economics. This is going to be good. Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being here. Today, we have a special guest. Juan Riboldi is an international business advisor and principal and president of Ascent Advisor, a management consulting firm. He is the author of the upcoming book, Strategic Transformation, How to Deliver What Matters Most. For over 20 years, Rivoldi has been advising leaders at the highest levels of business, education, and government on strategy, organization, and execution. His clients include Fortune 50 corporations as well as fast-growing private enterprises. He, successful launched, he successfully launched and led three consulting firms and completed postgraduate studies at Harvard Business School and Wharton School of Business. Welcome aboard, Juan Riboldi. How are you doing today? Very well. Thanks, Egberto. It's a real pleasure being with you today. It's a pleasure having you on. Before we go into talking a little bit about your book, um, one of the issues we want to talk about is immigration, immigrants, etc. And you said something that that made me wonder for a bit, because as it turns out, both of us are immigrants. I'm from Panama. You're from Argentina. Now, you said that you think the climate now is different than the climate that it was in 1980. You came here in 1980. I came here in 1979. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, definitely it was a very different experience back then. Uh, immigration policy was a lot simpler and the path to becoming a legal citizen, if you were qualified and met some basic requirements, didn't cost as much money. And it didn't take as long. In my particular case, it was pretty straightforward. I was an international student, ended up marrying an American. And it really, in a matter of three years and $300, I uh, was a legal citizen of the United States. And I've been very happy all that time. Um, I know now that today people can spend upwards of 10, 15 years, even the rest of their lives trying to uh, find a path to legalization. And I have friends that have spent over $60,000 in legal fees and procedures, and they're still not able to finalize their paperwork. So it shouldn't be that complicated and that expensive for qualified immigrants. That's essentially the point. Now, you know, there are some that would say that, uh, well, there are other countries where uh, you can't even do that. You can't ever become a real citizen of that country. So we are a special country in that all of us, I'm a U.S. citizen, you're a U.S. citizen. We have the ability to adapt a new country and, and be, can be anything in this country, of course, except being president, but can be anything else in this country. 
Yeah, definitely it is a country of great opportunities. And the United States has historically set a very high bar for the rest of the world. And many other countries have looked up to the United States for those reasons. It has attracted immigrants throughout the centuries for those very reasons. But um, definitely there are other countries that are a lot more tight with their immigration policy. So without necessarily debating which approach is best, what I value about uh, America and the United States is these kind of like more of a melting pot um, cultural uh, mindset to, to bring people from a lot of different places in the world, provide an opportunity and and this, this country has been built on immigrants like you and I, people that, that have come seeking for better opportunities, work hard and, and you know, create a path for our generations in the, from the future. Now, you're from Argentina. Tell me a little bit about how you find, how, first of all, why did you really come here? You came here, you said to study, but Argentina has very good schools as well. Chile has very good schools. Brazil has very good schools. Why did you choose America? So uh, two, two things, definitely I had a very good education in Argentina. In fact, the two years of university education that I had in Argentina transferred uh, one for one, class for class to two years of university education in the United States. So that's really a good proof that the quality of the education was very comparable. Now, having a degree from an American university opens the doors to a lot of different things uh, I know full well that the, the opportunities that I've had since graduating from universities here has been significantly better had I stayed in Argentina. But there is this other side to the story that I grew up through 12 years of a military dictatorship. Uh, the regime was very oppressive. The curfews were becoming more and more controlling uh, to the point that people were unjustly uh, imprisoned or or uh, tried for crimes that they didn't commit or anything like that. So the experience of growing up in Argentina was not necessarily endearing for me. And as soon as I came to America, it didn't take very long for me to realize that this was a completely different country where I felt I had more rights, even as, a new, as an immigrant, you know, as an international student that I would have in my own country. You know, that is amazing because what, what, what you had to say about um, you know, what having the military, military junta in Argentina and also coming here to the United States and seeing the type of freedoms that we had here. And that's why it's so disconcerting over the last several years. And this didn't happen just over this administration. This has been happening for quite some time now. Um, we've started to have a lot of these, these uh, paramilitary type institutionalists that we find in Colombia, that we find in Venezuela, that we find in, in, you know, in all these other places. And I don't know, bring back memories to the kind of things that we have overseas. And I, there are many times I've spoken to some of the organizations that I work with here. And I say like, I've seen this before. And unlike many Americans don't understand that humanity, irrespective of where it's from, acts the same way. And the same thing that occurred in Argentina, the same thing that occurred in Chile, the same thing that occurred in Panama and all these other places when we have these type of revolts could happen here. Yeah. What did it feel like when you turned on your TV on January 6th and saw what you saw? Yeah, I mean, definitely uh, in, immediately was feeling of reliving 
the beginning or the early stages of that process that led to some of the most uh, controlling and most uh, radical forms of government. And when you see the rule of the mob, you're never going to find justice or freedom, you know? So, so it, it was um, definitely very discouraging. Uh, I didn't ever expect to see that happening in America. Uh, I would have expected to see that happening in Argentina or in a third world country where we come from, that we're familiar to these type of things happening. And I hope that we don't have to repeat those type of events. I hope that the United States can live up to its higher purpose and its greater charter in the world. This is a country that has a leadership position in the world. And we are supposed to set an example and not uh, become part of what we've seen in so many other places. It ends up you know, destroying institutions that, that create civilization. The truth is I really think that immigrants are gonna be sort of the saviors of this because those of us who've gone through this, uh, when I speak to groups at times, I, I tell them what can be. And at first they're incredulous. And then they've seen January 6th and the phone kind of started ringing and saying, oh, I see what you mean now. So it can happen here as well. You know, um, go ahead. Yeah, no, exactly. I was uh, working at an office where there are several other colleagues and immediately as they turned their screens to what was happening, they all turned to me and said, this is what you live through in Argentina. And I said, remarkably similar. And it's, it's I never imagined seeing this in America. It, it was, uh, it was shocking. To, uh, I can't say it was surprising. It was shocking mm -hmm. to actually see it happen. I saw the genesis of it. In other words, and I'm, I'm sure you did as well. You could see that we were yeah. marching into that sort of mob irrationality uh, mm -hmm. with the false stories and the created mm -hmm. stories, et cetera. Now, um, in as much as we are here now, I don't think that we've really crossed the line. I think uh, we averted quite a bit. Um, do you feel that... Uh, based on what you've seen here now, that you can be a net positive in, uh, with, with your rhetoric, with what you do to help this situation? Well, throughout my, my whole life and what I do for a living as a consultant is about helping organizations work better together. And this is not about just improving corporate performance. It's also about improving the conditions of people and 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 customers and all of us as a society to, to find better ways of working together. So definitely is um, everything that I do is towards finding a way to unify the many divisions and, and divisiveness that exist in the nation to learn from our differences rather than fight over those differences, to find better solutions in creative ways to collaborate, to, to really look beyond uh, personal opinions and differences and, and just realize that we're in this together and we have to get out of this together too. So we have to find a way out. I still believe that this country and in society at large in the world will rise to a higher level, but we're definitely going through a very uh, per period of a great uncertainty and everyone still feels it. And we're not through this uh, thing that we're kind of like feeling our way. We're in the middle of a pandemic that is only exacerbating some of the other political tensions. And we have a lot of social tensions that you know, uh, surface from time to time. And 
uh, you know, the political uncertainty adds to that. So I think that we, we will have to figure out how to unite and collaborate and work together to bring this country forward. You know, what I, what I wish more, and the reason I ask you that is that I, I kind of got that from the narrative that you give. Um, and as much as we say uh, a melting pot, I, I kind of prefer a salad, right? Una ensalada. Uh, in other words, you don't have to turn it into one fusion. You can actually have, because I'll be honest with you, uh, some weekends I like to go have me some Indian food. I don't want to, I don't want a mixture of Indian and Panamanian. I want an Indian, real Indian food. I love it. Sometimes I want uh, Chinese food, Northern Chinese food sometimes, and Southern Chinese food sometimes. I just want something uh, Italian, you know? So I like the idea of, of enjoying the differences in, in things and using, and I, I wish that's what we taught, that we didn't have to be the same, that we could enjoy the differences, you know? And I think if we learned that, it would be so much more positive than trying to say, let's all speak English. Let's all march this line. What, what's your thoughts on that? So I think that differences between people and groups and organizations are inevitable because we're all different. They're necessary because that helps us grow and be better. And they're desirable for the very reasons that you were alluding to. We enjoy appreciating those differences. There's richness in that diversity. So if we can start looking beyond those differences as being a problem, an obstacle, something that we need to overcome or get everyone convinced that there's one right way, there is not one right way. There's a many different ways and all of them are pretty okay. So the reality here is that we need to take the best that each person brings and, and try to build something better going forward. So is there a need as a country to have some form of you know, common ground? Probably. I mean, we have a constitution is our common ground. We have a set of laws, that's our common ground. There are common grounds that we all at some point need to agree to, but beyond that, we can allow a lot of differences and diversity to flourish. It would only enrich us if we can uh, accept that as, as something that is good and something that is valuable and not be afraid of it. Exactly. And that's a great experiment that happens here. I mean, I, I, was, I interviewed a, a doctor from uh, uh, originally from India, and she said, we have so many cultures in India. But the one thing I love about America is that we have all those different cultures we have in India, but then we also have the Latin American Caribbean cultures. So this is really the place that we have all of that. And the magic is that we've held it so long. And what's going to be difficult is for us to hold it all together, even as we grow. Let's talk a little bit about strategic transformation, how to deliver what matters for most. Tell me about your book. I didn't read it, but I love the title. And I want to talk about that, that transformation. Tell me a little bit about it. So I think we all recognize that we live in a world of accelerating change. And change has been constant. Everyone knows that change is the only constant. But in the last several decades, change has not been constant, has been exponential. So the rate of change is accelerating at an exponential rate. So not even change is constant. So the point is that not all the change that we see happening in the world is necessarily for the better. So my focus has been on figuring out what makes the difference between those individuals, groups of people, 
and organizations that changed for the better, that actually made a step forward and advance things in a positive way versus the ones that change for change sake or maybe change in a way that make things worse. And we experience all of that in the world today. The part that is very interesting is that even um, as I research this topic of organizational change, you find that there's a third of changes that are very successful, the companies like Apple computers and Microsoft and you know, Google and all that that do extremely well. There's a third that somehow just stay in the game and are able to keep up with the economy and the competition. And there's a third that essentially become less and less relevant and ultimately may go out of business. And unfortunately we see a lot of people in, in that bucket too. So the question is, is that just the kind of a random thing? And when you really look closely inside of what those individuals, people and, and organizations did, they made choices that helped them make the change a positive thing. And the fundamental choice behind all of this is whether we see the change going on out there as an opportunity or as a threat. The moment that you see what is going on as a threat, we start becoming defensive, we start protecting ourselves, we start distancing ourselves from others, and he starts even blaming others. And at that point, you are creating a self-fulfilling prophecy that you will actually lose out in the process. People that look at what's happening as an opportunity reframe the real threats in the situation. It's not like the threats are imaginary. They are very real, but they reframe them as an opportunity and find a way forward in that from it. And all of a sudden then the people that are potentially a threat become my partners and become the people I work with to find a solution and we work through solutions to achieve a higher state. And when I talk about strategic transformation is that I see all the time individuals and organizations that are choosing to move to that higher level. And as they do that, they do things that are remarkable and they take us forward. They're advancing our standard of living, our, our civilization to a whole new level. And that's what I'm really excited about to help, to help move in that direction. Well, listen, Huang, examination. I tengo un examen para ti ahora. Quick okay. exam. Exxon has been lobbying Congress to really make believe that there isn't this thing called climate change. You're a consultant. You were hired by Exxon to make things right because Exxon is going into the ground because people are realizing climate change is real. They've been doing exactly what you said. They've been looking at climate change not as an opportunity. They've been looking at climate change as a problem that they had to fight. It is Juan Riboldi's time to go speak to uh, one of the executives at Exxon. What are you going to tell him? So the point is, uh, there's no point on denying the changes that are going on in the world, climate change being one of them, and many other trends. The, the real opportunity for organizations like Exxon is to find the opportunity in that situation. And in this moment, I probably couldn't tell exactly what that is, but I'm sure that even in the acknowledgement of realities like climate change, we can find ways that companies like Exxon can be a partner, a global citizen, 
in not only solving this problem, but addressing it in creative ways through the technologies and the markets that they serve. You know, it may sound like, you know, uh, not likely right now, people may want to be saying, you know, all fossil fuels are the problem. There must be a very clever application for that, that we may have not thought through that could be part of the greater solution. But the point is, let's not try to fight that, let's accept it for what it is and start working towards a solution. I think that is so important because I, I'm gonna pick up on what you just said right there. Because I think if Exxon, uh, during, I don't know if you remember back in 79, when both of us got here, you aided me 79, there's this product, this thing called a sin fuel, where they're going to create synthetic fuels and synthetic fuels could have been done from biomass and all these things, which biomass is actually a green technology when you look at it because it's circular, right? You know, you get mm -hmm. carbon, you put the carbon back and you get carbon and that sort of a thing. And how long ago was 79 again? That is, my daughter is pretty darn old now. And uh, it's a long time. And look how much time was wasted because they didn't believe in strategic transformation, nor did they believe in how to deliver what matters most. Huang Ribaldi, uh, you, this is a question I ask everybody. And it goes as follows. What would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? Well, probably what I like best about living in America. Tell me. So I love the opportunities that this country brings. I love the diversity of this country. Even in the chaotic and convoluted times that we live, I still feel that this country allows for a lot of different uh, views and expression of those views. And even when those views sometimes lead us into violent uh, encounters, I think that we as a society are able to rise above all that. And just like we've seen happening uh, recently, still have a peaceful transition of power to a new presidency. And that is an example that I think we, it's a legacy of this country and I want last forever. I think that is an excellent uh, closer because I, I think we both concur on that. It's, it's so important for folks to know uh, those people who came here had a choice and that we want this place to succeed makes us some of the biggest patriots in the country. Juan Ribaldi, thank you so kindly for having been here on Politics Done Right. You have thank a you. wonderful rest of your day. Thanks, Alberto. Pleasure being with you. Can you hear me? 713, are you there? Yes. Okay, talk to me. Uh, this is Ryan. Go ahead, Ryan. Uh, is this show, is this open forum? Yeah, you can say whatever you want to say, sir. As long as okay, you don't use obscenities. Um, all right. Um, earlier to... Uh,
Um, earlier this and uh, back in the um, turn it down. December, turn your volume down so I can hear you. Yes, sir. Just just a moment. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Okay, good. Um, all right. Um, a couple of years ago, I had told you, talked about that um, I'd been leaning independent, that I'd been following a. Well, actually, let me get to the point. I told you I'd leaned into, I voted for Jill Stein back in 2016. Yes. And um, also, this, this election year, I actually decided to go ahead and vote for, and I, I, even though I do not regret my vote for Stein, I decided to go ahead and vote for uh, Joe Biden. Okay. And uh, I'm not a happy camper about it, granted, but it, I realized that it had to be done. Well, yeah, you had to get rid of Donald Trump. A lot of people realize that. Mm-hmm. You, you'd like to add something to that, my friend? You're, you did a good move. I mean, uh, that's what I try to tell folks. You know, go ahead and, you know, sometimes you have to pick the best of both evils, right? Yes, sir. I realize that now. Great. So what else would you like to add, sir? And also, um, I kind of, I still kind of live in a divided house politically. Well, we're both, well, me and my immediate family are both are left-leaning. I'm, I'm more of a socialist type like Bernie Sanders, but my but my parents still um, kind of lean and kind of still in the Clinton era. In other words, your parents still follow the what we call the neoliberal philosophy, while you follow the the democratic socialist philosophy, which is what if you ask people what yes, they sir. want. What's your Ryan? If you ask people what they want, believe it or mm-hmm. not, they are closer to you than they are to your parents. And if you ask your parents what they want, they are also closer to you than they are to the neoliberals like Larry Summers, which I'm going to talk about right now. So if you, ha- if you don't have anything else to add, my dear friend, let me go ahead and continue with the program. Is that okay? All right. I think, I think I've said enough. Thank you. Thank you, brother. And you look, you keep doing the right thing, sir. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, here's the deal, guys. Uh, I'm putting it up on the screen right now. Larry Summers, who was President Obama's economic advisor, okay? He comes out unsolicited and says President Biden's 1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief plan added to the stimulus measure Congress passed in December with the incoming administration Songport would represent the boldest act of macroeconomic stabilization policy in US history. But then he goes ahead and he critiques it and he says things like the following. This guy is a a, a very elite educated economist. And he goes ahead and say things like that amount of money placed into the economy could create inflation and it would stop the progressive motions that we want. In other words, all the progressive things that we want to do get going forward, meaning Medicare for all, meaning the Green New Deal and all of that, somehow it would stunt it. This guy is an economist. I want you to read the article. It's in the blog post that I did. But let's get some economic facts together. Let us get some economic facts together. And this is what I really wanted to talk to you guys about with respect to this particular article. Numero uno, look up a, an economist. Her name is Stephanie Kelton. She talks about uh, MMT, modern monetary theory, because we've been working on modern monetary theory for a long time. It was simply used for the wealthy. In other words, when it was time to cut taxes with that one point something trillion dollar tax cut, nobody asked, why are we going to deficit spend for that? You know what they did know? They did know that there was a whole lot of slack in the economy. What do I mean by slack in the economy? 
An economy can only be overheated if you cannot service with the money that you're putting out there, if you don't have the products to service the money. And guess what we have in America? We have people that are unemployed, which means we have a slack. We can build a lot more factories. We can build a lot more things. So we have no risk. Listen to me. No risk of inflation. We should be inflating the holy hell out of our economic system right now to bring people to work, to bring to to defer student, not defer, to kill student loans. All those things would give us a revitalized economic system. Why? Because we need to start producing a lot and there is so much slack in the economy. But here's the deal. What Biden and the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, what they're doing right now is they're creating a system where it's a bit more egalitarian. A system where all the money doesn't first go to the top with the top saying, I may give you some crumbs. We can show this mathematically. Starting from the giveaway tax cuts, starting from the way we treat capital gains different than we treat regular, the regular person's income, we can prove mathematically that what they're doing is simply a matter of legalized theft. As an example, let me just do, I, I did this video a few years ago, but I'm going to just tell you about it. If we take a look at how they did the tax cut scam, what did they do? They went ahead and gave uh, tax cuts to a whole lot of wealthy folk. The wealthy folk don't want to pay necessarily pay taxes on, on these things, right? So a lot of this money is bought up by the corporations to do what with their taxes, to go ahead or, or do what with their stocks, buy back their stocks. When they buy back their stocks, what happened? The value of the stocks go up, right? Less of the stock. Supply and demand is not a capitalist thing. Supply and demand is a real economic thing. So the stock price goes up. And when they sell those stocks, guess what happens? Because stocks are treated differently than income, they inflate the, 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 the uh, stock price. And when they hold the stock for the necessary IRS time and release that stock, they've made a whole lot of money and paid very little taxes on it. There are all these schemes that work for the wealthy. Now, who the hell does Biden think he is to give $1.9 trillion of the wealthy people's money to the average person on the street who's actually the people responsible for making the wealthy people wealthy? Can, can Bill Gates make any money on his own, the kind of money that he makes? Hell no. Can Jeff Bezos make any of that money? Hell no. If he didn't have the engineer, if he didn't have the doctor, if he didn't have the lawyer, if he didn't have the teacher, if he didn't have the garbage man, if he didn't have the, the secretary, if he didn't have the people sweeping the floor, they couldn't do it. So don't ever feel any guilt when we say tax the rich so that we can make this system the way it should be, an egalitarian system. We're at 54, and I hadn't asked you guys to join anything yet. So please, folks, if you are listening on YouTube, please click that Join button and become a part of the PDR Posse. And we have the PDR Cup now that was designed by Bridge MCP, 
And, you know, we, we actually saw like three or four of them yesterday from people who said, hey, the Bridge, your, your design seemed to be doing very well because of the words that you chose. Anyhow, if you're not on Facebook, you can also uh, get the cup. Let me give you a, a – or rather, you can also join our PDR posse by going to politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. Politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. You can also uh, become a patron of our program by going to politicsdoneright.com slash Patreon. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And it's Patreon, you know, so they, they, I, I don't know why they spelled it differently. You can also provide support via PayPal by going to politicsdoneright.com slash PayPal. Now, our book, It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends, and neighbors. You can get that at Amazon, and I'm putting that link in there right now. But if you want to eliminate the middleman, you can get it directly from Politics Done Right by going to our store at politicsdoneright.com slash store, where you can also get the cups that Bridge MCP designed and a couple that I designed and a couple that others designed, including our hoodies and all that good stuff. Consider going there, my friends. Anyhow, uh, folks, I want to welcome... I want to, this. This is big. Anytime we get people that come become new members on air, I like to call them out. Paul Fleming Senior, are you here, Paul? Drop me a line. Send me a message right now if you're here in the in the chat room. Paul Fleming Senior became our newer newer newest PDR Posse member. Why don't you become a PDR Posse member? Hey, Fleming, Paul Fleming, thank you so kindly. People like you make sure that we can continue to give the progressive message. Because you are not going to, you know, if you, if you heard, if you heard the, how they handled uh, Larry Summers today on, on MSNBC, I was sort of upset. Because they, all the economists are saying we need to go big. We have one guy, Larry Summers, who you know was sent by the plutocracy to put a wrench into the Biden uh, uh, Biden's uh, what is it called a stimulus plan that's the only reason he was sent the plutocracy the wealthy people say you got to go out there and put a wrench in there see if you can get them to cut it away from 1.9 trillion dollars because if you give the people of America 1.9 trillion dollars you know what that means the wealthy people can't get the tax cut that we are hoping to convince some of those Republicans when they take back the house in uh, 2022 to do and if we follow Larry Summers. They will take the House in 2022. Let me tell you what Biden has to do. Biden has to do things, and Biden has to do things big. Biden has to show people that government works. Biden has to show people that, yes, whereas that Republican guy couldn't meet your needs, we can. We can. We must. Anyhow, folks, we are getting to the end of the program right now. I have an interview at 430 what happened to the $900 billion, Eric? It was spent. Stop listening to right-wing radio, my dear brother, Eric. I love you, brother, but you got to stop it. The right-wing machine lies to you. If you want the truth, come to Politics Done Right and some other stations. I'm sure British MCP and Norman and, and Eric and, and Michael would have places to tell you to go. Please, please. We got to do things right, my brothers. We got to do things right. Anyhow, guys. Right after this show, guess who I interviewed? Tom Hartman. Tom Hartman is going to be on my show. I, I probably play Tom on Monday or Tuesday. He's, uh, he's coming to discuss his new book called American Oligarchy. I got my copy before it actually hits Amazon or anywhere else. 
So Tom Hartman is going to be on. So tell your folks, Tom Hartman's going to be here. The biggest, the biggest liberal radio show host. He was on several channels as well. And he's going to be here. In fact, I, 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 I talked to him at 4.30 uh, right after this. So I got to go prepare for that interview. Anyhow, my name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you guys know how I end this baby. Let me see if I remember. How do I end this baby again? I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.